This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Eric Berry. It is very nice to be here. <laughs> David Richards. <laughs> Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, I'm going to take just a second and uh, tell people go check out React Dev Summit coming up. If you're into React. Yeah, I know this is not a JavaScript podcast, but it's what I'm working on. So if you want to come see great React talks, uh, go check that out. We've got some really terrific people coming to speak. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Catherine Myers. Catherine, do you want to say hi? Hey, hey. Um, now, I watched your RubyConf talk, and that's why you're on this episode. Uh, do you want to just give us a brief introduction to who you are, and then we can dive into the content? Sure. So I am a software engineer at a company called Mavenlink here in San Francisco. Um, and I'm also a co-organizer of a meetup called Women Level Up. And all of this coding stuff came after a huge career change. And before coding, I was actually an opera singer. <laughs> Nice. And that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Prove it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work up to that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So how does that work? Did you just wake up one day and be like, you know what? I've always liked computers. You know what? I want to start programming. So what's the story behind that? Oh, gosh. It was the opposite of that. Uh, so... <laughs> I decided to leave the opera industry first. Um, and basically that was after a lifetime of being a musician. I was the kid who was always singing and dancing everywhere. And it was just a natural progression that I would go into the arts. Um, and that was my life and my identity. And um, I went to school for it. And then I sang professionally throughout my 20s. Um, and eventually, as I got closer to 30, the lifestyle of a starving artist uh, wasn't as romantic and lovely as it once was. Um, and that combined with other factors and all the sacrifice that goes into it and, and what the reality of a career as a musician is um, made me decide I needed to leave. I wasn't happy anymore. Um, and Let's it, Let's real quick talk about that, because I, rem I remember seeing your talk. Tell us who you performed for and where you performed at to give us more context. Sure. Yeah. So when I was singing professionally, I sang for a lot of regional companies, especially in New York and D.C. and Philly. 
Um, and I was, I sang recitals. Uh, my favorite was at symphony stage in New York, a uh, whole entire recital based on like 1920s Paris, 1930s Paris and all the composers that were there during that time, which is awesome. Um, yeah, and I got to do some fun stuff. I got to sing the national anthem at a, a Nationals Mets game. Um, and I I did, I sang at the uh, vice president's residence uh, at a Christmas party, which was very cool. It was a, a big honor awesome. to be able to sing for uh, the vice president. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Damn that damn that 30 years old, man. That 30 years, 30 <laughs> That's where it all kind of clicks, right? You're like, hey. Right. <laughs> Life 401k, what's that? <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. interesting too, you know, you 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 went from that to code. I have a brother-in-law who is an opera singer and um oh. he performed at some region, you know, with some regional uh, groups as well. And uh mm-hmm. what happened is is his wife got pregnant. And, you know, same kind of thing, right? It's like, oh, I, I, I got to pay to live. You know, I, I, I can't afford to live on what they can pay me. And so yeah. he went and got a teaching certificate. And he teaches high school music. And so I'm wondering, you know, how do you make the leap from opera to programming? Because it, well, it seems like the one is a more natural progression, I guess. Oh, than definitely. The other. Yeah. And I actually taught music um, as my day job the entire time I was singing professionally. And, um, but I didn't love it enough to make that career switch. And if you're going to go into teaching, you have to love it. And I just didn't love it enough. And so I was starting with a blank slate and for a full year, I did not know what I was going to do. I spent a year doing a lot of research into different industries. And first I thought maybe I wanted to go into marketing or PR or something creative and in that type of way. And um, it was actually my friends who suggested coding. And the first person who suggested coding to me uh, is another fellow singer, Tyler Wayne Smith, who did the same thing. And, and left the, the opera world um, for the tech industry. Uh, he was actually singing on Broadway in Chicago. Um, and, and same thing, left the industry, went into the tech world. And he was the first one to say, hey, Catherine, have you ever thought of learning how to code? And I laughed in his face. <laughs> I honestly laughed in his face. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm an opera singer. Why in the world would I be good at coding? Um, <laughs> so, I've been trying to get my wife to start programming as well. And she has that kind of same reaction, laughs in my face. So what kind of tips can you give me to kind of make someone who is not interested in coding mm-hmm. to maybe just give it a chance? So my brother asked me a really good question to see if I would like coding. And he asked me if I liked puzzles. And I was like, are you kidding me? I love puzzles. And he was like, <laughs> Well, do you like also like working towards a problem? Do you like love solving that problem and, and, you know, want to give someone a high five after I'm like, yeah. Uh, And, and that really helped. And, and I think people think that it is so inaccessible. You know, people have this stereotype of what a coder is, you know, that, that dude sitting in the corner and who's just a genius and, and, um, it's not as inaccessible as that. Is it hard? Yes, 
definitely. Um, I worked my buns off <laughs> to change careers. Um, but it's not as inaccessible as people think. And it's a lot of fun to build things. And there's a way you can introduce yourself to it and, and see if you like it. And that's exactly what I did. I started teaching myself stuff. And that was after an, another friend recommended it to me as well and told me about the, the idea of boot camps. And this was kind of this was, what, three and a half years ago um, when boot camps weren't as big as they are now. And um, and so she another friend told me about boot camps and and how I could, you know, facilitate my career change in a more timely manner than going back full time to school for another two, four years. Um, and so I started I, I actually stopped laughing at the idea um, and and started really thinking about it. And um, and I remember that I had actually taught myself HTML once when I was working at a nonprofit music school in Harlem, one of my many, many day jobs working as a singer. And of course, they didn't have anyone to update their website. So I taught myself HTML and started updating the website. And I actually really liked it and probably spent too much time on that and started trying to reformat things when I had no clue what I was doing. But um, yeah, so I just started teaching myself and uh, and had the goal then to to get into Flatiron School which is a boot camp in New York. Cool. Yeah. Flatiron School is a terrific school too. Avi is a terrific guy. And the, the campus, yes. did, did you actually attend the campus in New York City? I did. I did. I was, I was actually attending before they had launched Learn.co. Okay. Uh, so attending on campus uh, was the only option at the time. Um, and I loved it. I am so glad that I tried as hard as I did to get into that school. Um, I didn't get in the first time. I, I, I definitely had to prove to them that, yeah, an opera singer is going to like coding. Um, but I, I mean, hey, this is something I get from from Opera World. You, you tell me no. You know, that's that's no big deal. <laughs> I, I You're going to get 99 no's before you get to a yes in music or any arts field. And so that was no big deal to me. My reaction to that was like, OK, I'll, I'll prove to them. And I just worked harder and applied again and got in. That's awesome. I just so that, also want to point out cool. they've got a terrific space over there at Flatiron, right by Dutter yeah. Park on Manhattan. It. I, I stopped in and looked around. They were having a hackathon at the time. Uh not last year, but the year before. And yeah, um, they, they do good work there. So they definitely do. And they've kept the quality high from what I can see, which is hard to do as you're expanding. Yep. You know, it seems like, you know, as I listen to you, I, you know, that uh, being able to write code is, is very accessible once you're in, but it takes that resilience, you know, and it's interesting. I, Try to encourage people, you know, you've got what it takes, but you've got to put it out there first and get started and then it'll be fine. And it seems like you've you've taken that. You've learned that you've been able to live that really well. And, and that seems to have worked really well for you. Thanks. Yeah. And again, that's something I learned from opera as a musician, as a musician, you have to be incredibly resilient. Um, nobody is going to speed spoon feed you anything. And you're going to have uphill battles <laughs> wherever you go. And it's up to you to advance your career. You're sitting alone in a practice room for hours upon hours. And uh, 
you're going to hear no a lot of times. And it's up to you to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder and I'm going to keep at this. And musicians sit down and they go over the same four measure, four measures of music over and over and over again until they get those four measures perfect. So we're used to that patience. We're used to that hard work uh, to really achieve what we want to. Nice. You know, I was in a conversation yesterday with somebody and it seems to be a, an ongoing theme in my life right now. What we were talking about bringing our best self to work and being willing to, doesn't matter what people say, just find a way to be my best self and make that contribution. Nobody's going to give me permission. Mm -hmm. So, and this person was, was overcoming that. And so we were encouraging each other and I was giving him experiences for my life of, you know, you just have to put yourself out there and see what, what you can do and then improve that. And have faith in yourself. Absolutely. A lot of my, my jump into coding was faith that I could do that. And I, you know, if I can memorize a three hour opera in a different language, then, <laughs> and that gives you a lot more confidence of what you can learn and the information you can hold. Absolutely. Yes. So one of the things that you talked about in uh, last year's uh, Ruby conference, the Ruby hack conference is the correlation between developers and musicians. And I'd love to hear you expound on that. Yeah. So um, I had kind of had an idea of the soft skills that might transfer over, uh, you know, the things like resilience and patience and being able to communicate and collaborate uh, with many different people. Um, as a musician, you have to be able to talk with rich patrons. You have to be able to talk with uh, the stagehands. You have to talk with some crazy conductors and directors um, and be able to communicate with many different types of people. Um, and that is something that you need as a coder as well, especially this day and age where you know, there's a lot more collaboration going on. And especially at Mavenlink, we pair program. So communication is key. Yeah. And um, and so I kind of knew about more of like the soft skills. And um, but I didn't know about the connections that would help me technically. I didn't think there was going to be any connection. Um, I didn't think that being a musician was going to help me technically. And it wasn't until I was starting to learn how to code that I started seeing those connections. And they really surprised me. When I switched careers, I thought, hey, if I'm going to be successful in this, it's going to be in spite of my background. And what I found is that, no, that is not the case at all. My background was really helping me both in, both in the soft skills and technically. Um, and I think the thing that really brought that to light for me was patterns. Patterns are what really hit home for me. I remember I was sitting in class at Flatiron School and I was doing really well. I was answering all the questions. I knew exactly which files to bring up to build our new model and all of its routes and its controller and, and how to write the methods and where everything was going. And then I remember the teacher stopped me and said, okay, so what's going on behind the curtain here? Like, like why is this working? And I actually couldn't answer that question. And I was I was like, what in the world is happening here that I can just like spit out all of this information? And um, 
and I didn't really know what's going on. And I realized it was just because there were patterns and musicians are trained to recognize and memorize and replicate patterns. We can spit out patterns with the best of them. And what is code? It is patterns. If you get down to the most basic form of syntax and vocabulary and, and how you build a method, that is a pattern. If you look at bigger, more high-level architecture, you know, how things flow through an MPC architecture, that is a pattern. Uh, so I'm, I've noticed that I can do that part really, really well. I have to slow myself down and actually rem remember to ask myself, oh, do I know what's going on? Uh, but yeah, that was the biggest connection for me at first. And then um, as I started doing more research into music and the brain, uh, the information I, I was reading was blowing my mind. Um, and I totally nerded out on all of the research that's been done on music in the brain. And there's been a lot. <laughs> um, I think my favorite research that I, favorite study that I read about, uh, they actually created a metal-free keyboard so that they could study the brain of a jazz pianist during an MRI. I thought that was super cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. Would you say that developers are... Uh, in, inversely, so you're saying that that musicians have a, a better chance of understanding code and probably an advantage as a developer. Uh, I remember when we were at that conference, you asked who here is a musician, and probably eighty or ninety percent of the people raised their hands. But that yes. that there was like a mind explosion for me. I literally was sitting there, and my mind exploded, and I thought, why are, <laughs> why am I not a musician? So I hadn't tried it. So would you say that developers actually are also possibly better musicians or have a possibility of be, being better musician? I kind of think so. Yes, I have absolutely. I, I mean, all the evidence I have is the exactly what you were saying. When I go to conferences and I've given this talk now at three different conferences and I, I always ask, okay, who here is a musician? And it's always like 70, 80%. And, and that blows everybody's mind. It gets really, really messy when everybody's brain explodes it, explodes in there. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's, it's true. And so that's the only evidence I have is that there must be this huge connection because there's so many coders who are also musicians and does it make you a better musician? I have no idea. All those people who are raising their hands could suck, but I highly doubt it. All right, here's what I propose. And I actually came prepared for this one. I propose that we do a live on podcast test and I came prepared. I brought a food. Oh my, oh my God. And so I'm going to play. You should have told me. I would have brought mine. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I'm going to play. I'm going to attempt to play. Mary had a little lamb and I want all the rogues to sing. Yes. We can edit this out, guys. It's all right. <laughs> Hold on. Let yeah, me there, give you the starting note. There, there's lag That's over the internet. This note. is going to be awesome. All right. Hey, Chuck. <laughs> are you able to kick Barry off the podcast? Hey. <laughs> I'm going to confess So let me see. The oh, there we go. <laughs> this is why we should be doing a, a video broadcast instead of a This is going to be the first ever live show of the rogue singing Mary Had a Little Lamb with a cheap little uh, flute pipe 
a bamboo flute pipe from Portugal. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Mary had a little lamb. Little lamb. Little lamb. Little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. I think we're all lamb here. This is why it's no. Bravo, bravo. I think that your theory is wrong, by the way. No way around, but it's only a one-way path. It's not. It's not a duplex. Well, you know, I do I have a counterpoint to that, though. Yeah. I'll say that if I have a really, really good day, what I'll do is I'll go hike and I'll go up in a big slot canyon somewhere and I'll bring my Native American flute and I'll just play to myself for a few hours. And it feels like I'm in the zone for coding. You know, it's mm. that feeling of I am connected with what I'm creating and I'm confident with what I'm creating. And nobody can hear me, <laughs> but it sounds really good in a slot canyon. It can sound really good. And, um, so no, I it, it, it there is a correlation. Well, <laughs> even if thing, I can't sing on cue. <laughs> the, the other thing that I'll point out though is that so I was in choir in high school. Um, I, I told him I was a bass. I I'm a tenor. Anyway, um, and uh, I mean we practiced a lot. I think a lot of times we just assume that music's one of those innate talents, and and I think to a certain degree people have an aptitude for it. Uh, a lot of people have a better ear for it. But when it comes right down to it, it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of preparing. And so, you know, the, the people who kind of poo-poo the connection, um, they, they really don't understand that, you know, when you're preparing for an opera, you're singing and thinking and, you know, practicing pronunciation for hours to make sure that you're ready for it. And we do the same thing with code. It's just that most of our practice actually goes into production, which is a little bit scary if you think about it. Um, we have a different type of production. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, but the other thing that I would point out, uh, with a lot of this is that, um, I think people, um, they come into the community and they see people get up and talk about the technology and things like that. But at, at RubyConf, you spoke at RubyConf, um, in past years, one of the big fun events was actually watching the jam session with people like the late Jim Wyrick. And, uh, you know, Chad uh, Fowler and some of these other folks, you know, uh, Jim would pull out his ukulele and a bunch of other folks would get up there with their guitars and stuff. And we'd all have a rousing singing time, you know, after the conference. And we need to resurrect that. We should. We totally should. Yes. But, but I think I think you're what you're talking about here and the, the parallels that you draw in the talk uh, are are really somewhat profound as far as you know, look, this is a thing that we all enjoy. We all do, you know, music. Um, you know, we may not be great at it as Eric made us all demonstrate, but, um, you know, it's a part of who we are and what you're talking about with that perseverance and that practice and the patterns and everything else, it it really, really, um, it, it really pays off and it really comes, uh, comes full circle. So what can we learn? Not, not just, is there aptitude for music to, to programming, but what can we learn from music to programming as far as the, the practice and the patterns and how we think about these things? Um, one last thing that you brought up that I wanted to comment on, I had all these things come to my head, um, was you mentioned the patterns. 
and how natural it felt in Rails. Well, when David was writing Rails, he went to the book uh, Patterns of Enterprise Application Architecture uh, by Martin Fowler, and that's where he came out with Active Record, and that's where he came out with MVC. And so all of these patterns were actual patterns that people had studied that Martin had seen in other applications and pulled out and recognized, and that inspired David to write Rails the way that he did. So all of the things that you're talking about, they all apply. And so, yeah, so I'm wondering, you know, where do you see that people could take some of the knowledge and practices that you have in music and recognize that, hey, this might make me a better coder? That's a really good question. And I've only ever seen the the benefits after the fact. Um, but I, I think that uh, anyone who can practice music and do that training uh, will be benefited by that. Um, like not only in strengthening your pattern recognition, um, but more physiological changes as well to your brain um, that can help with things like problem solving. Um, they did a study on musicians' brains where they were studying the corpus callosum, which is a part of the brain that connects the right and less, uh, left hemisphere. And um, what they realized is when you're creating music, you're using almost every part of your brain, um, especially the auditory and visual and motor uh, cortices. And what they found was that musicians actually have a larger corpus callosum, which meant they could um, send messages between the right and left hemispheres in faster and more diverse routes. And what that meant in real life is that they were better problem solvers. That that connection really helped musicians think quickly and break down problems quickly and think of different uh, solutions to those problems. And if you can train, if you can pick up an instrument and start learning, there are things that are going to be happening in your brain that you don't even realize. And so you're going to get these side effects um, that you don't expect. And all, it can really help with coding. That's really interesting. Yeah, so that reminds you know, me, my my good days with math are creative. <laughs> and the most <laughs> of my days with math are logical, you know. So usually I, I don't try to bring both of that. And so I think that makes sense. And, and the fact that there can be a, a venue to learn how to do that, you know, knowing that it's true and knowing that I want that and knowing that I don't know how to get that. So, okay, pick up an instrument and, and practice, mm -hmm. train to get that because that's that's where it comes from. You know, that both yeah. sides of me, all of me has to be able to participate, be creative in problem solving, which is, that's actually really got me excited. <laughs> yeah. And it gives it, you a little bit more of a justification for, hey, you know, I think I want to learn the piano, but, oh, I have so much, you know, to do at work and shouldn't I be reading, you know, reading a, more blog posts and, and I think this is, this can kind of give you permission to to learn an instrument and explore new things because it's going to make you a better coder. I'm going to take a drum set into work and start banging around saying, look guys, this is for, this is R and D right here. Okay. <laughs> Step That's back. right. I but, see but absolutely boss, no negative consequences for that. <laughs> 
So with uh, composing music, you know, you say it hits that thing that starts with the C and bridge and gaps and stuff. I'm not going to pretend like I can repronounce it. But <laughs> is there also a correlation with that same kind of thing with listening to music and the kind of music that you listen to that maybe it can just map your brain temporarily or whatever to a place where you're able to more clearly solve a problem. Yes, definitely. And there's been many studies on listening to music as well as creating music. And um, when they look at a brain that is listening to music, it is way more active than a brain that is not. And different people react to different types of music differently. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people who love to code while listening to music. Um, but it really can help activate your brain. Um, a lot of people talk about getting into the zone while they're listening to music. Um, for me, I actually, I, I love listening to music. If I can put on my, um, headphones and, and put on classical or jazz or even rock, like I can get into the zone. It can help me focus, um, and help stimulate my brain. Yeah, I yeah. like Marconi Union for that. I'll grab, but I, I, I do, I play around with different kinds of music. And I, you know, there's probably a hundred kinds of music, but I always have my headphones on and I always want to concentrate and I'm looking for something that's going to enhance that experience for me. You know, I have a pretty strange taste of music. It's usually bouncing between Linkin Park, The Cranberries, or Doctor Who theme music. So <laughs> it's, it's really kind of out there, but... Uh, I found the classical, which is, you know, kind of like the Doctor Who theme music, really helps me focus the most uh, because I'm not getting distracted by the words or the melodies that's coming in from Lincoln Park or the Cranberries. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chuck and Eric? What kind of music do y'all listen to while coding, if any? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. I listen to the same thing every time. I have a favorite song list that I just put on repeat, and there's probably 20 songs in there, all upbeat, all dance music. Um, and the reason I have that is because I've listened to the song so many times that it's almost like a conditioned response. When you listen to this certain song, it puts you into a zone. And I found that. And plus I love dancing while coding, right? I, <laughs> that's why I love standing desks because I can like dance and I look like a total weirdo at hacker conferences or anywhere where there's other developers. I'm sitting here like, I'm not, dude, I, I'm a freaking good butt dancer here. And, and a highly unappreciated butt dancer. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what actually drives me into it. So yeah, same, same set of songs. Um, a a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, imagine dragons, that kind of stuff. 
I can I attest I've also been a dancer while coding. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> also sometimes I, embarrassing, but <laughs> good music. I just keep the you. door closed. It's okay. I'll dance all the time. I've got a full, own it, man. Own it. Full wall mirror in in one of the rooms I code, and so I'll not only dance, but I'm co- I'm dancing to the mirror and having fun. And <laughs> it's a good way to code. <laughs> somebody somebody needs to create a website where you can just live stream dancing coders, where you don't actually do the code <laughs> that they're building, but you just view like a side view of them just boogieing out, and it only triggers when they start dancing, and just have a stream of like hundreds of dancing coders. <laughs> That'll a definitely bring idea. more people to the group, to this industry. Oh, people. <laughs> Like we're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my musical tastes kind of uh range it depends on what I feel like. Um sometimes I really need to focus and I'll listen to there's a, a program out there called Focus at Will, and it is kind of I don't know how to describe it. It's it's kind of the traditional Eastern lingu uh music, um, you know, with different rhythms and things like that. And if I'm in the mood and, and I tr- put that on, that's usually when I get really deep into the cycles of, you know, of coding and, and getting stuff done. Um, if not that, then um, a lot of times I'll also just pick up. I grew up listening to country music, and so I'll just put some songs on that I know really well. Um, I tend to, if it's a newer song that I don't know as well, um, I tend to find myself trying to understand the words instead of write the code. But if, some, if it's something I'm very, very familiar with, then I can I can get into the groove that way. Um, and so I'll just play something off of my computer. Um, and then, yeah, I, I've done a lot of classical music. Um, there's a, a set of uh, albums out there on iTunes that are like the masters of classical music. And they're like 10 albums. And it cost me like 10 bucks to get all 10 albums or something when I bought it. And so I'll just, I'll just run some of that. Um, I have this deep love for Italian opera because I lived in Italy for two years. And so Whoa, a lot of times yes. I'll just, you know, I'll just play something by uh, uh, Puccini or something anyway. So, yeah, just, you know, or I'll play some Vivaldi, which is more classical, mm-hmm. not opera, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it just depends on my mood, really. It's funny. We all have kind of different patterns for how we do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of a radio program I listened to um, a few years ago. They're talking about Beethoven and they're saying how, you know, when he put on a, a show, he put on the show. He had to market it. He had to write the music. He had to hire. He had to train. He had to get everything set up. It was all up to him. He had to compose it. He had to, everything. And, and I feel like, you know, these these great artists who created great things, they used a lot of the same tools and tricks that coders have to use to be able to organize things, to make things happen. So it's, it's, it seems like, I don't know, a camaraderie there. You know, I haven't done anything great like Beethoven's done, but I've um, felt that, that, you know, the whole part of me, all of me has to come to my life and have to find a way to produce something worthwhile and, and make it work. And, um, and I like that about coding, by the way. I mean, that's just, you know, we're generalists and we're able to make something great. And do it with panache. Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think one of the great things about coding and music is that both in both places, you have to really hold a lot of information in your brain at the same time. You know, when you are 
making a change to your code, you could be breaking 20 other things. And you really have to keep all of that information in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, musicians have to do that as well. When when I was up on stage in an opera, I not only did I have to know, you know, the, the music I was singing um, and the words I was singing, which most of the time were in a different language, there was also the acting. There was the direction where I was going to go on stage, I had to always keep an eye on the conductor, uh, you know, in case the conductor decided they wanted to take it a little bit faster this time. Um, I had to make sure I didn't fall off the stage and and fall into a tuba. (laughs) There's so many different things that you have to keep in your head at the same time. So you get really good at thinking about a million different things and never letting the audience know that you are doing that. (laughs) I like that. You know, that kind of reminds me, I mean, because, I mean, I've never been on an opera stage, but, um, but I kind of get what you're talking about, you know, uh, when I've had a few good moments in my life and, and sometimes I I feel like, yeah, I'm coding and I'm just going to go do the next 20 hours of my life doing this thing. And I just, you know, I put in a B effort or a C effort instead of doing like an A effort, a full effort, be fully present for maybe four hours. You know, and it's, so it seems like, you know, being whole and being connected and then just bringing it, it doesn't have to take me some marathon experience if I'm present. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so. that's the difference between working hard and working smart, right? As an opera singer, I had to make sure I was working smart because if I was singing and I wasn't focused, I could hurt myself. I if I wasn't fully supporting my sound and really making sure I was using my technique in an efficient way, I could hurt myself. So I had to make sure that I was always focused. Um, and yeah, that's the difference between smart and hard. Love it. Cool. Mm-hmm. And it's always an excuse for me too. You know, like, Oh yeah. You know, I'll just put in an extra hour after everybody leaves the office. Like, no, I have things to do that hour yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I need a rest or, yes. or what am I doing to myself? No, just pay attention, get it done. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy in our society to pat ourselves on the back for working so many hours when in reality, it, <laughs> work so, so smarter, hard. dude. <laughs> you can do it in fewer hours if you really try. And you're talking to one of the dumbest guys on the planet with this particular <laughs> problem, you know? And so Don't like, talk I'm talking that about it because I, no, because <laughs> I'll do you that. I'll burn these, these crazy hours and I'm like, God, Dave, just come on, Dave. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's good to, to work smart. That's why they say hiring working moms is actually incredibly smart because they don't have the time to not work efficiently. They have tons to do. So if you hire a working mom, you are going to get work, way more work in way less time. <laughs> I thought you said working mimes and I thought, okay, this is I'm like, I'm not sure where this is going, but yeah. <laughs> Um, Either way, I agree. Either way. (laughs) If you you have an open office and you feel like it's too loud, just hire a working mime. (laughs) There There we go. (laughs) Problem solved. There you go. I love that about working moms, though. I mean, that's the thing. I I think, you know, the, 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 the way that. The working moms I've known are amazing at what they can balance and get done, um, you know, and be present. That's, that's awesome. 
Well, and to that point, you know, when talking about some of the the advantages that musicians get and, you know, the different backgrounds that we've talked about and things like that, I think a lot of times we talk about diversity in technology as, oh, well, everybody's the same. But in fact, the, the strength of diversity is the fact that everybody's different. Everybody brings oh, yeah. something different. And, and that's the power, right? It's like, oh, we don't have somebody who thinks that way. Mm-hmm. How can we benefit by that? Not how do we find somebody that fits into the same mold that everybody else does? Now, we want everybody to get along, sure. But, you know, what are we missing out on by not having a musician and a uh, woodworker and, uh, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who likes to work on cars? And, you know, and then they see these problems that shape out in different ways because they have different experiences and have spent time developing different skills. Yeah, I'm going to come at a problem in a very different way than someone with a more stereotypical background. And that's going to result in a better solution. Yep. Two heads are better than one and two very different heads are even better than that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it takes a little bit of courage if, if, if I'm a manager or a leader in an environment where people are different to to bring that up, you know, to to celebrate the differences. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's really easy for me to see somebody just like me. Like, ooh, I want them on my team. Yeah. No, no, I don't want them on my team. I'm already on there. I, I'll mm-hmm. handle that part. You know, so what else am I missing? Yeah. And it's a natural thing to want to surround yourself with people like yourself. It's going to be slightly easier for you to communicate, but you are going to be better off for surrounding yourself with people who are different. You're going to learn how to communicate better and you're going to come up with better solutions. Yeah. And in the long run, I tend to resent the sycophants. You know, if they're just like me, they want to please me. I don't want to be pleased. I want to put a good product out there. I want to, I want to, work well together, you know? So yeah, long-term, it just gets boring. It just gets annoying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You should uh, hire more New Yorkers. We'll never tell you what you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, at at the same time, I think it's also important to, yes, hire different people that are very different from you, but that doesn't mean that you can't have the same core values. Right. That, you can, you know, be on the same page about things that really matter in both your lives. And I think having that common basis, you can be a musician and then someone completely not a musician like myself and get along and be able to work great while bringing the diversity or difference of opinions into the mix. As long as you're bringing respect to the table, then yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, yeah, come I, together. You both want to work hard. You both want to build this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think the core values argument is actually critical to this because if, if you're coming in with different core values, you're going to, you're, you're not just going to approach things differently. You're going to be working toward different ends and mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. things will fall apart. But if you can find people that have the same core values as you and think about problems differently from you, I mean, that's where the magic is. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mean core values as a political sense, but, you know, (laughs) wanting to do the work Mm -hmm. that you being on time and working hard is important. Mm -hmm. Having family time and time outside of work is important. Like those kind of core values. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even if you get down into, uh, you know, a more tech type core values of, you know, (laughs) 
speed versus readability versus Tags versus spaces. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah, you can um, use any yeah. editor you want as long as it's Emacs. <laughs> there, well, that that is a rule, isn't it? <laughs> in my company, yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe in Utah, you, you folk are strange out there. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't wrap me in that crazy bundle. <laughs> They're not bundles. Actually, I'm not that hardcore. I use Spacebacks. <laughs> they should have they should have a label on there for Emacs. You must have mas- uh, masochistic tendencies to enjoy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think or, you nailed or it for me there. Or a full ring exchange, right? You're getting married essentially. So, <laughs> <laughs> just use Space Max, and then you can edit in Vim and have Emacs in the background. You don't even have to know it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a way. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So I'm I'm a little bit curious. Um, I, I love kind of the science behind a lot of this too. And it seems like mm-hmm. there, there are studies and people who work on this kind of brain science. How do you go about a, approaching a study like this? I mean, you see the connection, but how do you go about verifying it? You mean as a scientist? Yeah. So you mean the people doing the studies? Yeah. How do you, how do you go find these studies <laughs> about brain science? Oh, how did I find them? Yeah. I Googled it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me Google that for you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, I, I, um, when I was doing research for this, this talk, I was just Googling and there's a lot out there. And, um, you know, you can find the actual papers written up by the scientists Mm -hmm. and you can try and read those. Uh, (laughs) That's a little bit more difficult than finding the articles written about the study. (laughs) So a lot of times I would, you know, start, I would read the the study and then find an article written about it. And that explained it so much more nicely. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that was really what I did. I found so much interesting stuff. Um, And it was all just from Googling. Did you find anything that you know, really surprised you? Um, yeah. I think all the stuff about the brain and how the brain could actually physically change is what really surprised me. Um, I'll give you another fun fact. Um, so they did a study on pianists um, and they found um, something about the central sulcus. And the central sulcus is a groove in your brain that goes across the right and left hemispheres. And it's what can really indicate if you're right or left-handed. Um, you know, the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body and vice versa. And what they, what they know is that, Hey, if the, that central sulcus, if that groove is deeper on the left side of your brain, uh, then you're right-handed. If it's deeper on the right side of the brain, then you're left-handed. Um, and when they studied the brains of pianists, they actually found that the central sulcus was more, uh, symmetrical and, these weren't people who said, oh, yeah, that's because I'm ambidextrous. These were people who who identified as right to left handed. And what they found from that is that playing the piano, which is a practice where you really have to 
strengthen your weak side to match your dominant side. If you're right-handed, you need to really strengthen your left hand so that you can play as well with your left hand as your right hand and as evenly. So all of that work to really balance out their right and left hands physically changed their brain and gave them a more symmetrical central sulcus. And that blew my mind. The fact that we can physically change our brains with music training, that's incredible. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm full of fun facts. I love all that science stuff. <laughs> Which came first, the pianist or the egg? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Okay, that was terrible. Anyway, but 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 the idea is, is you know, for me, it's 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 okay. So is our 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 uh, mental makeup a result of what we do, or is what we do a result of our mental makeup? And it turns out that it's both. There's a terrific book out there. Um, it's called uh, Breaking the Habit of Being You, and it talks about this kind of physical stasis that we get to the. You know, we're, we're kind of comfortable. He uses the word addicted. We're addicted to being ourselves. And that as you go and you change what you do, you change your behaviors, you change what you eat, what you, you know, where you go, what you do, who you interact with, that changes your, your body chemistry. And then you become addicted to your new you and the old you doesn't exist anymore. And it's, it's interesting, you know, there, it's a feedback cycle. It's not just oh, well, I was made this way and so I can never change. Yeah. In the whole nature versus nurture argument, I mean, nurture is so strong. So much you can do to change. And that, gosh, that's why having a growth mindset is so important. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of growth versus fixed mindset. Um, That is something that, oh, goodness, I'm going to, forget Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck, Carol Dweck came book. up with this, this, yeah. And this idea that, you know, someone with a fixed mindset thinks that what they can do is what they can do. They're good at what they're good at. They're bad at what they're bad at. And that's that. And they tend to see failure as the end of the game. Um, whereas somebody with a growth mindset thinks that they always have the ability to learn and grow. And um, so the fact that you can change your brain and, and like you were saying, change your whole body by the, the different ways that you act in this world and what you do, that fixed mindset is just, <laughs> it's not going to help you <laughs> because there's so much that you can do if you just go out there having faith that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this thing and get better at it. You know, I've, I've been, uh, been writing a, a blog article. Uh, the title is you didn't, you didn't come this far to come this far. And it's this thing we're talking about, you know, look at what we've done to get here and, and look at the kind of mindset it took to be, you know, able to learn these things and to, to accomplish what we have. And however it looked, you know, we got here. And so now, now what are we going to do? You know, because it's so easy for us. I don't know. It's easy for me, you know, to say, well, I've, I've arrived or I, I plateau somehow or good enough or that's out of my control. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Let's stay engaged. There's plenty to do mm-hmm. and, and we can do it. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I love most about coding is there's always something to learn. Sometimes that's also what I hate most about coding. (laughs) (laughs) It can be very overwhelming, all the things you don't know. Um, But that's also what excites me. I never want to stop learning. And with coding, there's always something to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that we didn't talk about yet is um, now the the Ruby Rogues band played live here. Yeah. So <laughs> we're sorry. I would love to, there's a smile on Eric's face and Scott be scared already. <laughs> if you're okay with this, I would love to hear um, you opera oh, sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> In in my full on opera voice. Your full on opera voice. If you're okay with it. <laughs> sure. That's how it's done, right? I don't think I've ever sung Mary Had a Low Lamb in a full on opera voice. You can do it in Latin if you prefer. <laughs> we have a top notch accompanist for you. <laughs> yeah, can you get out your flute? Come on. <laughs> oh, I don't think you're ruining your song. <laughs> okay. All right. Mary had a little lamb in an opera voice. Ready? Ready. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece as white as snow. Wow. Oh, I had to give you a very dramatic version. <laughs> I was tearing up a little bit, you know. <laughs> I feel a little bit if inadequate this were now. Real op- <laughs> if this were it- a real opera, I would now kill myself and <laughs> or die of tuberculosis. <laughs> that isn't normally what happened to my characters at the end. <laughs> this kind of makes a point I, I was I was thinking I wanted to make, which was, you know. We were talking about, you know, in coding, we're always learning something and having the confidence to go anyway. And here we are. Mary had a little lamb, <laughs> you know, not something you prepared for. And yet you have the confidence to do it and, and, and the ability to just be us wherever that is. You know, that seems to be a big point, too, of, of successful life. Mm-hmm. You know, just willing to. All right. Well, yeah, you might have 50 years of or whatever, 20 years of this experience, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do this thing because I'm going to make my contribution and mm-hmm. and let's just go forward. Um, yeah. yeah. And do the things that are scary. I lo- yeah. I love that yeah. you said successful life, David, um, because a lot of these principles are things that go well beyond code. Mm-hmm. And, yes. And yeah. Just the idea yeah. of, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to be successful at being who I am. And I'm just going to apply these things wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, um, unless we're going to get an encore, I think we probably have to go do picks. Ah, yes. So uh, I'm going to make uh, Eric go first since we haven't had him on for a while. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, 
freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I've, I've been collecting them too, actually. Yeah, I've got three picks today. Um, the first one, I didn't realize that my life was incomplete until I recently went to Portugal and had a dessert called pastel de nata. And oh my gosh, I probably ate 40 of them. <laughs> and these are like these little tiny, uh, this just, you got to Google it, pastel de nata, N-A-T-A. And it's this little, this little pastry that has uh, uh, custard inside it. Oh man, it's, it's the reason to move there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, second thing that I've been really, really, really getting into, cause I, I've been on long flights, 10 hour flights. And so I download like whole series of, of, uh, shows on my iPad so I can watch them on the flight is the expanse. And the expanse mm-hmm. is an amazing show that, uh, it is, it's a sci-fi show that's kind of Battlestar Galactica-esque, but it has such an amazing world in it. It seems like it, it seems like they could take it in so many different directions. But it's on Amazon, I believe, and at the expanse. And then finally, the company that I'm working with now, uh, code sponsor, uh, has been brought into the family of Consensus. Now, Consensus is a company that is geared to push the Ethereum ecosystem forward. And if, if you don't know Ethereum, it's it's on it's a blockchain um, and it's similar to Bitcoin. The difference, though, is that Ethereum is to or let's say Bitcoin is to uh, uh, calculator as Ethereum is to supercomputer. And that's really what it comes down to. Most recently, I was in Denver at a hackathon and I was amazed on some of the things that people came up with. One of them that was very interesting to me is that they have a way to be able to track blood donations on the blockchain so that you are absolutely 100% certain where that blood was sourced from. And to think of the possibilities on that in third world countries where you can always know like the full history and the the uh, uh, actual information on the donor, like their age, their, you know, are they smoker, like all that stuff you can have just easily once you move this type of information into the blockchain. And so anyway, I really am blown away by the power of Ethereum and the blockchain. So, um, and uh, I think that we're going to be talking about that a little bit in the, uh, in the Ruby hack conference coming up in April. So those are my picks. Yeah. Oh, do you know somebody you who's speaking? Also, oh, go ahead. I was going to say to uh, talk about HIPAA and how that would apply, you know, just protecting the person's uh, identity or information, not right now, but just in the top. Well, it's, it's actually quite easy. You know, you have, it, it, well, yeah, it's it, so basically what you would do is that information would derive from a source, but the source will only allow certain data across. Okay. So there will be no personal identifiable information. You don't need another name to know if they have, you know, uh, I don't know what their blood type is or if they're a smoker. Yeah. Now, is somebody giving a Same talk job. on blockchain at Ruby Hack? He says with a smile. Yep. 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, not me. I'm actually speaking at Ruby Hack, but I'm speaking on uh, on why funding open source is hard and the the options that a developer has to be able to get funding for their open source. I'm speaking on blockchain and Ruby at Ruby Hack. So. Ah! <laughs> oh, I didn't know. That's awesome. I just, oh, nice. Oh, oh, very cool. <laughs> I, I, I thought you knew that. I thought that's Ruby why you brought it up. So no, funny. I didn't, but I'm like super excited that you are. <laughs> I, we got to we gotta have lunch, man. Yeah, we, we do. Because, uh, yeah, I, I have a start, but I have a feeling, you know, with you working with Ethereum and Consensus, you can probably give me some ideas that I wouldn't come up with on my own. So Yeah, that's what's up. All right, uh, David, what are your picks? I have a couple today. Um, <laughs> just they're, they're based on what our conversation today. So we, we talked about music we like to listen to, and I put a link to a 10-hour loop of the song I like to listen to when I code. It just puts me in that zone pretty well. So it's Mar- Marconi Union, uh, Weightless. And the other one is just a lot of fun. It's like a two-year-old thing. You've probably all seen it, but it's a, a neat little machine. They made uh, marbles and wood and creativity and music. So Wintergarten. Um, so it's this marble machine. So I've got a link. Uh, they're both YouTube links. So watch those and you'll 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 thank me later. All right. Dave, what are your picks? So uh, um, my first pick is, uh, well, okay. So it's really all just one pick, uh, heat shrink tubing and a air gun, like a heat gun, which is basically like a, a man hair dryer, but it's used for shooting or shrinking tubing. So I use it on electrical components. I've been kind of getting that kick or fire started up again. So I've been playing around with, um, electricity and stuff and heat shrink tubing makes it so, so much easier to close off and wrap up connections. So what do you use that on besides wiring? Like, come on, you had to have like put like two pencils together or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> the heat gun? No. Yeah. Um, Dude, I would be like no, connecting no. things like pens and anything that I could find. I would be like, okay, you are no, no one. It's not a glue gun. It's a heat gun. So it's basically like a hair no, no, dryer. No, I know. I know. But you stick okay. the tubing around it, right? And then you shrink it down. Those oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I've only done it on electrical components, wires and stuff. Chicken. Sorry. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I never thought about combining pencils together into one pencil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's my thing. So I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, one of the things music-wise that I've been listening to a lot lately is the soundtrack from The Greatest Showman. And uh, it's a terrific movie. Um, it was funny because my wife went and saw it. And then two days later, she had to take my kids to see it. And I had something going on. So I went and saw it when they got back because uh, my two-year-old um, you know, couldn't go. And then on Monday, or not Monday, on Saturday... I took my 10-year-old daughter, and we went to the sing-along version. Um, if, if you want an awesome movie experience, and you've been, you should go to the regular movie once before you go to the sing-along version, um, and then listen to the soundtrack a bunch of times so that you kind of know how the songs go. But man, the soundtrack is amazing, and uh, the sing-along version was probably the best movie experience I've had in a while. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm also going to self-servingly pick a few other things. I mentioned React Dev Summit. Uh, we're also starting a React podcast. So uh, reactroundup.com will get you to the podcast. We're going to release the first episode the first week in March. Uh, same with our Vue.js podcast. 
views on view. So if you're doing front end dev and you're getting into that, then check that out. And uh, finally, um, probably toward the end of March, uh, we'll be releasing um, the Elixir podcast. Um, I'm still pulling the panel together with that and getting some of the other logistics done. But I have the artwork together. I have the domain. So uh, definitely going to be checking that out and, and, and having some fun with that. Um, Catherine, what are your picks? Uh, so my first pick definitely has to be a general shout out to public school music education. Um, this is how I got started in music. And it was just, I think it was my elementary school music teacher who in the sixth grade, when I sang memory from cats in the school talent show, pulled my mom aside and said, Hey, you should, you know, think about putting your daughter in voice lessons. And she changed my life. And all of the music education I had in my public schools changed my life and prepared me for this second career in addition to my first career as a professional musician. And unfortunately, in this day and age, this is the first thing to get cut. And it is so wrong and so short-sighted. And so I have to give a shout out to public school music education. Um, if you have the funds, then donate to organizations that are helping use your vote to support candidates that support arts and education. My second pick has more to do with computer science fundamentals. Uh, there's an amazing blog series called Base CS that is written by Vaidehi Joshi, who also went to Flatiron School. And for any, um, gosh, not just boot camp grads, but anybody. Um, this is such an amazing blog series and it's actually a podcast, um, and a video series now as well, um, that explain those computer science concepts in such an incredible way. Um, and this kind of leads me into my third pick. Um, and this might be a, just a, an old thing for y'all. This book came out a, a bit ago, um, but it's Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. Mm -hmm. And I just finished it a few weeks ago, so it was new to me. And what I loved about it is um, that because I'm a, a boot camp grad, my first entry into computer science was through Ruby. So a lot of those low level things and concepts were completely abstracted away. And then, then you kind of go back and you try to teach yourself the, those computer science fundamentals, but they're just these abstract things like linked lists and um, memory allocation. Those are things that you don't really have to think about when you're writing Ruby. So when you learn about them, they're in this abstract way and it was always harder to really cement those ideas in my mind. And what Ruby under a microscope did was it showed me how Ruby under the hood was using all of these things that I was learning about and giving me all these great real life use cases um, that really helped cement those concepts for me. Awesome. I just want to uh, shout out to there are some listeners who have listened to the show for quite a long time. Um, the podcast for Base CS uh, Vaidehi's um, co-host is Saranyat Bark, who used to be a, a panelist on this show. So if you miss Saran and you don't get enough of her on Code Newbie, go check out that show. It is actually really, really well done. It is, definitely. 
All right. Well, uh, one last thing. Do you have a, a blog or Twitter or anywhere else where people can go and see what you're working on these days? Yes. So I'm probably most active on Twitter, CC Myers 324. Um, I should do more blog posts now that you say that. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no but pressure. you can also catch Love me at <laughs> uh, KatherineMyers.com. Also, where you can catch me. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming. This was a really, really terrific conversation. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. No, you're, you're, you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, folks, <laughs> we will uh, catch you all next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.